This is R.J. Rushdooney, Easy Chair Number 338, May the 3rd, 1995. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdooney, and I have a great pleasure of having with us Larry Bailey, a very unusual man. Larry lives not too many miles from here in Thornton, California, down in the valley. And he is a very remarkable Christian. He's the kind of person we need to see more of from coast to coast. He makes things happen for Christ. I'm going to start off by asking you, Larry, to tell us a little bit about yourself, the kind of work you're in, your business, and how you got into the educational and missionary activity that you are so deeply involved in. Actually, uh, I guess he would be a fellow of Chalcedon, uh, I was uh, hosting Sam Blumenfeld, boy, in the mid-80s at Washington State University, driving him around, and uh, I don't know if any of you know, uh, Sam can ask some very probing questions at times, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me what I was going to do with my life, and it really took me by surprise, and uh, I had uh, was Christian and very much involved with my church, uh, in Pullman, Washington, and married, happily married, a uh, couple children. And uh, he, at that time, I, he, I had mentioned uh, missions in Africa, and he said, well, have you ever considered uh, all the people groups that are in the United States that are, that are here? And so that one thing led to another, and uh, uh, a bunch of circumstances happened as, as only God can set them up. Uh, where I uh, ended up at a Cambodian pastors conference in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Cambodian pastors from all over, really the world, uh, gathered, and uh, I got very keenly interested in the Cambodian people. And uh, at that time, I was uh, employed at Washington State University, again very involved with uh, my church in Pullman, and uh, uh, got. Got to know my missions pastor very well, and uh, uh, found out through a mutual acquaintance of uh, a work at uh, San Jose Christian College, a, a man named uh, Don Byers, who uh, was a former missionary to Thailand for about from the from the time I was born, about 1950. Before I was born, 1950, early 1950s till the mid 60s, he was a missionary in the uh, uh, near the Chiang Mai province of Thailand, that, that area. And uh, he was doing this work with uh, San Jose Christian College, where they would—they were actually taking uh, newly new immigrants from, I guess, refugees is the word from Cambodia, uh, who had become Christians in the refugee camps in Thailand, and giving them theological training, giving sound sound grounding in the scriptures and in the faith because they come from a totally uh, non-Christian uh, Buddhist culture, and it's entirely different than most of us can imagine. And so we came down on a vacation 
got to know him, he got to know us, and uh, our church elders in Pullman, they they uh, basically, they we just kind of left into the Lord's hands, see what the Lord would do, and, and uh, he opened some more doors uh, for employment down here so I could work, and I, I work in the environmental and safety area for a, a Northern California Sugar Company. But uh, he, uh, Don Byers, uh, he saw, hey, we, I think there's a real good combination here because I, I had taught uh, Bible school type classes before, theological education before in Pullman. And uh, one thing led to another. Two years later, we ended up, the elder says, we, we feel this is the Lord and uh, opening the doors. And so I, they hated, you know, my pastor said he hated to let me go, but uh, he, he really thought this, he was releasing me to this. And, and uh, now we've been here for three years and it's, uh, I have to say some of the most fulfilling work I've ever done in my life. Uh, not always easy, but very fulfilling. We, we work with uh, a group in Modesto. Uh, it's called the Cambodian, Mount Modesto Cambodian Christian Fellowship. And what we've, what we've done is we have, uh, like I think one of the main things we've done is we have a uh, catechism program. Uh, I don't know if any of the list listeners are familiar with uh, a lot of mission work in third world countries to unreached people the thrust is get them saved and let them drop I hate to say that mm-hmm. and a very little foundational teaching um, very little if you asked went to many third world countries you asked him who Abraham was or David or anything about the Old Testament or even who Paul was they wouldn't know Elementary basic things, and so we have tr- we are in the process of uh, through uh, Cambodians and ourselves translating uh, catechism. It's we we don't start out with the cross. We start out with Genesis. In the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. Take them all the way through the Old Testament, and then, uh, and of course, then the the, the good news, and then uh, the doctrines of the, the Christian faith. And uh, I think we're about it's a. 32 lesson course that's been tried and true in, in Chinese, Lugandan, Spanish, and several other languages. Uh, so we know it, it's very, uh, how do I say it, uh, biblical, not just totally slanted toward American culture. And uh, we've been seeing some amazing things happen in people's lives. So. How about uh, your teaching ministry? Uh, I, I also teach at uh, San Jose Christian College. We have an extension in the valley, and it's kind of unique, I think, in the United States, since California is kind of a seems to be a magnet for a lot of uh, immigrant peoples. Right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, you know, they can, uh, they're here, you know. And what are we? What is the church going to do to respond to some of these peoples? And uh, our particular target is the, the Cambodians, and there are a lot of them in the Central Valley of California. And uh, again, for whatever reason, they haven't fit into the mainstream American churches, and uh, it works better to to uh, minister in their language, in their own their own cultural approach. And that's how come San Jose Christian College has been so successful 
I guess if that's the word, uh, in reaching these men who want theological training. And uh, it's it's they're very grateful to have it. And uh, things that we would have assumed we would learned in Sunday school, they know nothing about. No one ever told them. And so they're very grateful. And I, I teach uh, anything I've taught, world geography, uh, science. We can, uh, in the, most of their cultures, uh, only the wealthy and the intelligentsia even get science at all. So basic concepts that we would get in a reasonable uh, education, they have no idea of concepts of, of science at all. And, so, and anyway, and then I've taught uh, Reformation history, uh, reform to present, and we we translated uh, the Great Christian Revolution. I think that was the name of it. Uh, it was a book that I think uh, Mark Rushtuni, Sean Lofton, yourself, and Otto Scott put together. If I remember, and we translated Otto Scott's portion into uh, Cambodian. And uh, these. Uh, men were just incredible when they saw Cromwell uh, not for a villain but for a real godly hero yes. and uh, I, I, I was kind of kicked kind of emotional talking about it because they were they were they would pound on the table and say this is what we need for Cambodia we need a Oliver Cromwell <laughs> and uh, they I really kind of gave them opened them up a whole uh Hall of Fame of Christian heroes for them that they had no idea had gone before them. So, what is excuse me? What is the history of some of these these Christian groups? Um, you don't think of Cambodia as being a, a Christian country, obviously. Yeah. Um, where has their introduction to Christianity come from? Cambodia, okay, is a country of about eight to nine million people. Uh, they lost a couple million along the way, as most of you know. Um, and uh, they, there was Catholic missionary influence at the, around the turn of this century, but the first missionaries were, were from the Christian Missionary Alliance. As a matter of fact, the CMA, a group of them with some Cambodians, is the one that's responsible for the Cambodian translation of the scriptures, which of course has its because of their doctrinal influence has some inherent weaknesses, but it's still the word of God and it, 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 it's very powerful and it speaks to them. And up until about 1972-ish, early 70s, there were about, in a country of 9 million, 8 to 9 million, there were 230 Christians. And they had been there maybe 30 years the Christian Missionary Alliance, almost as many missionaries as there were Christians. And so it really had had not, nothing had happened. And then, of, of, of course, you all know about what happened in the uh, Lon Nol and Pol Pot and the, the whole Vietnam area and all that stuff that happened there. And, and uh, <clears throat> the Cambodians say it was God, that God judged their nation for rejecting Christ for centuries after century after century. I mean, I didn't say it, they say it about their own and uh, through the persecution they had a revival of immense proportions uh, it was not always neat and clean as far as that maybe some of the doctrine was a little uh, sloppy and not as uh, clear cut as we would like to see 
but many people were introduced to Christ, especially as they fled into the refugee camps in the mid-70s and then came to this country in 1980, 81, 82, 83. But uh, very much a Buddhist culture. uh, if you look on their money, even they have a uh, uh, the six-headed snake god is on their money. Uh, very much idolatrous. Uh, uh, you know, the Buddhism, of course, as a religion, is very, very weak, almost a non-concept of God. And so that's a problem when you're trying to communicate the Lord God of all creation. What word do you use? You know, so you, you have to be creative. And uh, how you communicate. Do you have any idea how many of the Cambodians in this country are Christian? They seem to be growing very rapidly. Uh, I'm guessing it's it's probably. Uh, I guess there's probably oh, a couple hundred thousand in this country, mm-hmm. maybe thirty thousand in the valley, something like that, and and the biggest. Uh, congregation of them is actually in Long Beach. Probably 95,000 in Long Beach area, Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. And we have contact with the, uh, many of the leaders there. And I'm guessing it, it's maybe 1%. How much? 1% maybe, possibly. Uh, again, you have to define what, what do you include as Christian? Uh, and in, in Cambodia, it's probably less than a tenth of a percent right now. Maybe a few thousand in a country of nine million that are that we that would be real, we consider themselves Christians. How are they looked upon by the rest of, by the non-Christian population? Are they yeah. left alone? Or? In Cambodia or here? In Cambodia and here. Uh, I have never been to Cambodia, but we have. <laughs> friends there that live there and we get regular faxes um, they they think they're a bit quaint I think there's an old-fashioned word queer that's the word that comes to me I don't I mean in the old-fashioned sense of that word in Cambodia they can't understand why they want to follow the white man's God but we can ex- talk about some things that the Lord has done that has changed their minds on that. In the United States, a lot of people that I run into see them as a drain on the welfare system. And uh, many, many of the non-Christians and a few of the Christians, but becoming less and less, are are, uh, on welfare and have not been able to integrate into our culture because they have very, very poor education. Probably know that during Paul Potts time, anyway, if you if you're educated at all, you were either shot or forced into hiding, and uh, and so they basically decimated all the educated class, and so you have people that had little or no education coming over to our country, where you need just a basic education to survive in in a in any any occupation, and so our country, I think I think they're somewhat resented, but I think they're accepted now that they're here. But I think uh, in, in Cambodia, they're uh, definitely not persecuted like in the Islamic countries. But there's uh, some some respect growing because of, of the uh, social work they're doing, and which is tremendous. Because there is no social welfare net there in Cambodia. 
Larry, you mentioned earlier some of the uh, breakthroughs that you've had. Would you be willing to enumerate some of those, the successes that you've had uh, sure. dealing with these? Um, uh, for instance, uh, we were, I was teaching on James one time. I think it's James 5. Uh, what is it? It, it says, uh, is anyone sick among you? Let him let him call the elders and pray over him, you know, and the and the, the Lord will raise him up. And they said, "Is that is that really is that right?" I said, "I said, well, I I know a lot of American Christians that would that would say that was uh, for a bygone age that we call nine one one today, <laughs> <laughs> because in Cambodia there's no nine one one. But anyway, these are the ones that have, have that have landed here, and they they simply believe the word of God and it. it I have not found the skepticism and the cynicism that you find in much of American Christianity toward the Word of God. And they just accept it. So they called the elders. They, they, you know, I think it says anointing them with oil mm-hmm. and pray over them in the name of the Lord. And they did that. And, and the, the woman, she was healed. And she went to the doctor and he says, you don't need to see me. You're all right. <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's been cases and, and, uh, uh, some not nice things as far as we don't like to talk about them, but cases of demon possession. We don't go looking for them under, under things, but this is a non-Christian, non-Christian, uh, group of people who have, uh, how can I say it? There is no Christianity there. They have idols on every, every house has a wall of idols. They have idol shelves in their houses and they believe these things. They worship them. They're, they're as real to you as as gravity is to us, you know, and and when they when they uh, matter of fact, a man who is an elder in our church now, uh, he's a businessman. He actually has, he's a small businessman, and and uh, his wife had an incurable. What happened was uh, she's been called, got in the emergency room, her chest swelled up, great big, and the doctor says, "I can't figure out. We've had cat scans of her and all this stuff. We don't know what's the matter with you. And you've got elevated blood pressure and all this stuff." And, and then they heard about Pastor Chan Mao, who I work with, um, discipling and training him and, and helping him. And uh, they said, you should call Pastor Chan. So they called him over, and he and Sobin Ung, who's now in Cambodia, went over, and they began to pray. And all of a sudden, this thing started shouting at them. <laughs> and so they, they told the church, start fasting and praying. And so they did, and they just... Commanded it just like Jesus did in the Gospels. They commanded the demon to come out. Her temperature became normal. Her blood pressure was normal. But and, and along this the slide, the uh, fellow happened to have uh, a pornographic tape in the house. And they says, and he says, I, there's something. There's a reason why it won't come out. And it, it was a very matter of fact thing to him. And he said, you've got pornography in this house, and you're the head of the home. So he found it. They they threw the tape out immediately. So it, I mean, things that and we know that that's, that doesn't happen every. It's happened once, okay. But I mean, they just they they the word of God to them is very plain. They don't make it complicated. We don't talk about the fifth toe on the beast. We don't. That's just that is. We don't have time for that. Yes. So that, that's kind of probably two of the most dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, and this uh, brother actually ended up uh, saying, who was 
fellow that this happened to and, and he's forgiven and he's repented and become a, a wonderful Christian brother and friend. But he, he in his donut shop, he was uh, uh, savagely attacked, actually, um, year before last. After we were doing so many great things uh, and uh, 13 times stabbed, lost his eye. It was a, it was, it was crime. He, uh, his own donut shop in Modesto. And uh, we had some marvelous things happen there. Uh, people rallying around and really supporting the family and not blaming it on racism or or fate or uh, ancestors because immediately all the non-Christian was to see this is the judgment of the of the idol gods on you for turning to this Jesus literally and they they, they tell them that you know because everything is karma and fate karma is a big deal yes. in, in Buddhism so uh, what I really found is the word of God sets them free. And, and yes. it's, it's very refreshing sometimes because I, I, I we tend to complicate things a lot. Yes, and, you uh, seem to know the language quite well. Oh, no, a little bit, just a little bit. My wife knows it a lot better. She's spent more time studying it than I have. Mm-hmm. So, but I I'm learning. We're we're all studying the language together, my son and myself and my wife. Obviously, these people are not. Uh, given to taking only part of the Bible. They take all of the Old and New Testament, literally. And they're not antinomian, it would seem. Right. Uh, that is really interesting because uh, they they came to me once and they said, Larry, I, I don't understand. I this, this American Christian came to me and said that this part of the Bible wasn't for today and this wasn't for today and this is for the Jews and this was for that one. He says, he says I thought God gave us the whole scriptures. And I said, he did. And he said, oh, good. What a relief. One of the biggest things I fight against is the uh, TV, uh, the Christian TV, to be honest with you. They see... Uh, what I call a warped picture of what Christianity is, or yes. I, where I say is not, and they they get very confused, uh, and so I advise them to keep the TV off, as far as off the off the the the. Uh, I don't know how you describe. Them. I call it a circus. I don't know how to describe it. Do the um, converted Cambodians? tend to be evangelistic they tend to go back and evangelize their brothers and sisters and and how effective is it compared to uh, evangelism that we do in our culture comment on that for a little bit uh, it's quite different they, they do what I kind of call a family evangelism it's almost like when like the head of a household gets converted everybody's converted because they're they're, uh, they're I don't know how to put it they're the father is still not emasculated. I mean, how can I put it that way? He, 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 He's a father in other Yeah, ways. I mean, yes. more so. I mean, they're, they're becoming under the influence of American culture, and so yes. uh, that is having taking its toll. But uh, very, very much so when they see Jesus forgave my sins, he washed them all away, I don't have to, to, to be in bondage to these idols anymore, which they took very seriously. Uh and they tell other people about it. So you don't have to be in bondage. And that's how they present the gospel. And then they get out to the scripture and, you know, explain. And they, and they're actually working on a, a little training session with the elders, the leaders there, um, to teach them, okay, uh, can, I, I don't use the four spiritual laws. 
Okay, let's say that. Yes. You okay. Okay. Uh, don't use the four spiritual laws. Just just get out the Bible. Yes. And uh, Romans, John, even Isaiah, and uh, expound the scriptures to to people and uh, let 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 God speak through His Word, and that will that will set people free. And uh, I I, get, I I think one of the, the detrimental things that that is influencing missions. It, Really worldwide, I would say is, uh, and Dr. Reston, he's talked about it in years past, I think he called it the star system with our, where we have someone on the platform on a television or on a big tent or a big arena, uh, much like an entertainer. And it, it's very hard to have any kind of a personal interaction with someone on that level. And so I, if you want to put it in American vernacular, it would be called friendship, of, friendship evangelism, excuse me would be more effective than uh, uh, the star system approach. Larry, I'm going to ask a personal question. You have a full-time job mm -hmm. with a corporation, mm -hmm. yet you and your wife are very much involved, many an hour, every week and every day, with this missionary work and teaching these Cambodians and college classes. Um, how has it affected your family life? Well, we really get everybody involved. Uh, I have four children, and uh, we don't have a need multicultural education. We've got it. <laughs> and so they're understanding another culture, learning to understand another culture and how to reach out to another culture. And, and you have to keep balance. Of course, you have family time and and keep communication open and and we have started something uh, about a month or so ago maybe it's been a month and a half ago which I had neglected as a as a father realized that that who was raising who was teaching my children the Bible yeah we have Sunday school uh, yeah they have a Bible in their Christian my children in a Christian uh, curriculum their home school but it's in a Christian curriculum and I assumed Oh, they're getting the Bible. But uh, uh, we went to a seminar on, on, on uh, biblical parenting with the Cambodians because they, they really need a lot of help in that area. Uh, the Holy Spirit was working overtime, in my case, telling how I needed to be a better father to my children. So we, every morning at 6.30 we get up and we, we study the Bible together. And I, as the daddy, explain the scriptures to them. And that way I can ensure that they're getting the scriptures from their their, their, their father, and, and it's and that and that is is the Cambodians are starting to do that now. They're always saying, getting up at six thirty, yes, but it's really great because it starts the day right and and or, or you know as appropriate time, or however their their schedules fit, because the, then the father is the prophet and priest and the teacher in the home, and not the Christian school curriculum or. Whatever. Not that those are bad. It's just that that it, it sets the stage. And then, and my wife has even told me that it, it it's like it just sets it raises the spirit in the home. And so we have it's almost like a family forum. We we, we can talk about very real problems and issues. We just finished studying jo Joshua. Now we're on jo Jonah, and we're talking about running away from God. Can you run from God? And in those kind of issues, and, and, and we we just talk about that in, in the Bible study time. So, 
I think the main thing to us has been keeping communication open, and uh, uh, we we cut out. We don't have time for much recreational activity other than gardening. Mm-hmm. So, do you get uh, damned as a Christian reconstructionist who's off balance in his whole approach to things? Yeah, that's real interesting. Uh, <laughs> we were at a uh, Christmas uh, dinner kind of a thing a couple years ago. And I was explaining my, you know, the, the vision that, that God has given our family for, for missions. And, and this, this uh, very sincere Christian brother, he said, he says, that's kind of unbalanced. He says, what don't you, don't you have a boat or do something? And, and I says, well, I can't afford that, but, uh, you know, I says, of course, you know, we, we go to the park and play like any other family does, but, you know, it was, he used the word, I, I guess if you're going to be imbalanced, because uh, I was a little taken aback by it, I thought, maybe there's something wrong with me? <laughs> and then I talked to my uh, missions pastor, in fact, we, on the internet, actually, through, he's in Moscow now, in Russia, and uh, he said, he says, he says, Larry, he said, Jesus said, occupy till I come, not recreate. <laughs> so he said, proceed. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I think it is remarkable what you are doing, Larry. And I think it is going to produce out of these Cambodians a people more advanced in the faith than the average evangelical. Because they take it so seriously, it is their whole life so that uh, it isn't uh, fire and life insurance for them, but it is their marching orders day after day. That's, that's really true. Uh, you know, we talk about fire and life insurance, but they, uh, Pastor Chan uh, once commented, he said, but don't you have to pay premiums and have commitments <laughs> and obligations on insurance? Larry, when I was among the Paiute and Shoshone Indians, American Indians, I found that uh, the Old Testament had a special appeal to them. And the thing that gave me a strong point of contact was Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Because their reaction was, oh, we know those stories. We had stories about the first man and the first woman, about doing wrong and about the flood, and that sort of thing. And they recognize that the biblical account is the clear one. There is, is mixed up with all kinds of mythological nonsense. So I always found that, uh, the Old Testament, and especially Genesis chapters 1 through 11, gave a particularly strong point of contact and a means of approach. I agree. Uh, you're talking about... Uh, you're the biblical scholars here. Uh, is it in uh, God, in Romans where God, uh, Paul says about uh, knowing God. 
their foolish minds were darkened. Right. But but the the idea that uh, a missionary named Don Richardson, who worked with uh, uh, a people group in Papua New Guinea, he called it the redemptive analogy that God is. He believed that his theory was that God has put in every culture a redemptive analogy. And in the Cambodian culture, they have a, a legend, a Buddhist legend. It's actually the Christians think it was predates the Buddhist time. They call Prayase Maitre. Uh, which means uh, God, the mighty highest one, mm-hmm. and it, the legend the legend goes that there uh, uh, God, this God would come to them riding a white donkey uh, with uh, palm leaves. Mm. Of course, they mm. they have palm trees there, of course, and of course it got all twisted around and everything in in their legends and culture and, and they're still looking for this Messiah but the Christians have found him mm-hmm. Jesus yes. Christ and so when they read in the gospel Jesus his triumphal entry to Jerusalem they say that's, that's him that's him mm-hmm. so they can they can actually mm-hmm. can can tell their their country their, their their people they say this is the one he's here our Messiah has come and uh, they have uh, legends about the flood and about uh, creation, about man and woman. Uh, I haven't got that much that that much involved in that. Uh, but whenever when we, when we were teaching about God, one God, the true God, starting from Genesis one in the beginning, and about creation, they were all shaking their heads and nodding. I said, "That's right. That's right." That's what grandfather said, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's it, it's exciting because uh, it's like God has put something, uh, even though it's marred by sin and everything else, and, and it's in nature and all that. There's something that God has put in in all mankind that longs after Him, that wants fellowship with Him. Larry, do any of them have the aspirations? And the hope that one day the situation may change in Cambodia so that some of them can go back there. Some of them already have gone back. And uh, I can show you some pictures of mm-hmm. a brother named Sobhinon, who I've kind of personally discipled uh, uh, for about two and a half years. And he, he was actually taught in some of my Bible uh, school classes as well as... And we, he did a lot of the translation work on the catechism. And he's back there. He's in Phnom Penh right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the snapped up. Forget where I am. He uh, he is in Phnom Penh right now, and what he's he's doing is these are he's ministering out in the provinces, because as is typical is what happens in in, in mission work is they all stay. It's like the first Christian state in Jerusalem. Well, they all want to stay in in the big city. Mm-hmm. The problem is is uh, that's not what God intended. God wanted all the provinces to be reached. Or, you know, he said unto Jerusalem and to Samaria yes. and the other most parts of the earth. Yes. And so he is working in Presat, Kompot, Takao, you know, uh, Svairing, all these provinces, uh, around Phnom Penh. It's not a very big country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, raising up leaders, using this catechism material, and, they when they carry this stuff, you can't. It's incredible. They carry it like it's a treasure. 
I mean, it is a dirty, dusty country. There's not a lot of paved roads, so there's dirt and dust everywhere. And somebody says, I thought they were, he thought they were carrying the crown jewels or something. And he says, what are you carrying? He says, that's my catechism notebook. Because no one has ever put anything down systematically. We would call it systematic theology, and maybe it would be on a little higher level. I, I call it basic theology. But it's so critical to lay a foundation yes. and start with the beginning so they get the right concept of God, the true God. Yes. And, uh, and the closer I stay to the Bible, the better off I am. When I stray, stray away, I'll be honest with you, then I get in all kinds of problems trying to explain and why isn't it this way in the American church? And, and I said, well, I don't know why, but, you know, so I, I, uh, they have gone back and they are going back and, and many, many people from, from our group in Modesto, that's their vision is to send them back. Uh, the problem is getting into American culture and into money and into the American dream and all that stuff, uh, they lose, I call it, they lose their first love. And, uh, uh, we haven't seen that yet, so uh-huh. we're trying to prevent that. But uh, yeah, it's exciting because uh, so Ben is in Cambodia right now with that That's very great. purpose, because he kind of has the best of both worlds because his his feet are solidly on the rock, you know, theologically, and so uh, he knows what he believes, he knows why he believes it, and he knows his call and he knows his purpose. And Larry, how well does? Uh the Bible translate into Cambodian. Are there any special problems that arise? Oh, sure. In uh, uh, we were singing a chorus. Oh, it might have been a hymn, and it had the word "adore" in it. We have the word English word "adore." Well, there's no word for "adore." We have love, we have "adore," but how do you say "I adore you"? You know, that means something to us in English, or when we say it to the Lord, it means something. And so what they say is sralain sralain, which is love, love. So it's like extra love. That's that means adore. So you, you run into those kind of things often. And uh, we were we were we were just hmm, I can't remember, but you you run into it all the time. And I can't. We we just on Monday we had an elders meeting and uh, ran into that same thing. How the English the English had one thing had like. Uh, two words in the Cambodian they just use one of the words and so we use both both Bibles all the time it's very interesting Larry that uh, languages are remade as Christianity goes into a culture yes. because the Bible requires an expansion of the vocabulary yes. and uh we fail to appreciate how much the English language and all the European languages are products of Christianity and of ancient translations of the Bible. Yes, that's right. So much so that uh, a, a scholar, a master in the field of Hebrew studies, very much a modernist, told me that uh, Isaiah gives the flavor of the Hebrew so much so that it is like reading the Hebrew because the idioms, the rhythm is so much shaped by the original text. So 
Western languages have been remade. They are not the languages of the pagans of uh, old Europe. True. And that happens all over. And the, the challenge as a, as a missionary or church planner or leader is to... Uh, there's a concept uh, that um, Wycliffe Bible translators have talked about in other linguists. They talk dynamic equivalency. Mm-hmm. When do you go with dynamic equivalency and when do you say, that's not going to work here? Yeah. I think before you've talked about some... Modern translators have been a little loose, and, and, yes. and instead of saying the Lamb of God, they said the Pig of God, because <laughs> there was no Lamb. Uh-huh. And uh, Cambodia, uh, fortunately, has uh, no major things like that have happened, so they don't have a cross. So you say cross. This is the cross, and you have to teach to it and explain mm-hmm. it. It's like you have Good. to raise the expectations to of them and say, okay, we have to teach this. this is a new concept. They don't have. Uh, uh, the concept of uh, uh, sacrifice for sins. It, it, it's, it's more like penance and uh-huh. and and uh, karma. It's just uh-huh. karma is totally different than the Christian concept yes. of redemption. And so you, you just basically okay. Here's a new concept. This is what we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. And you're always um, uh, doing that and working with an interpreter uh, all the time. The only problem, like with the Cambodian language, is it being a third world country and a third world people. Well, actually, there's several people groups in in the in the, the country of Cambodia, but the, the main group, the Khmer, the Khmer, they the language does not lend itself well to tech, technology, and so that is a continuing struggle for for the country, and so they they just adopt the English or the French word. Obviously, you know, Cambodia was a French colony, part of a French colony at one time. So, are the I'm not up to date, Larry, on the political situation. Are not the Khmer Rouge still in power there? Is, and, and how does that uh, work out as far as those who are there preaching the gospel and so forth? Uh, in the northern province, it's uh, the Dong Greek Mountains, Dong Greek, I guess, the mountains uh, that border Thailand. There are a lot of ruby mines still, and uh, at one time they were taking a million dollars a day out of those mines and taking them over the border and uh, uh, selling, exchanging them in China for arms. And obviously, for thirty odd million a, a month, you can probably finance a pretty good army. And so it's it's very disruptive. But what has happened? Again, God is greater. And it just amazes me. Uh, amazes me. Well, I don't know why it should, but he's the Lord of creation. And, but uh, in one of these northern provinces, uh, Siem Reap province, actually, uh, as I remember, that that might it's it's in that area. And Pastor Chen, when he was just over there about three four weeks ago, uh, he said there was a lady who was uh, through. Hard work, and she'd been converted, became a Christian. Through hard work and a lot of things, she became fairly prosperous, just with her chickens and her little micro businesses. And the Khmer Rouge saw this, and they, they wanted to basically rob her. <clears throat> and one of the people came up to her, and she opened her house to him, and uh, she gave him food, and. 
his heart was so touched that he was going to go and burglarize their house and take all the, the, the livestock and the, any wealth she had, any tangible wealth, that uh, he ended up coming to a church meeting later, as I understand, I don't know if he was converted, but he was he was sincerely affected by her charity, by her actions. I think when you time many said love is not something you feel, it's something you do. And and those kinds of simple charity uh, toward even the Khmer Rouge. Matter of fact, last Pastor Chan was in Cambodia last year and he was kidnapped by the Khmer Rouge for five days four, four or five days. And it turned out one of the guys, his captors, was an old boyhood uh, playmate because uh, he's from Battambang province. And uh, it, he he'd been with this, it's like a, like a kind of like a limousine taxi kind of thing, and because no one uh, no one no one drives, he says no, we we're gonna drive. <laughs> he says too dangerous, and uh, so but anyway, they did get kidnapped uh, by this group of Khmer Rouge. And they didn't know what they're doing, you know. They're half the time they're they're not fighting, you know. They don't have anything else to work to do. So what do they do? They take up arms. They have no faith. And so what happened was, he got a chance to preach to these guys. Mm-hmm. But guess what? He didn't do that first. American would do that first. Some Americans. Uh, but what he did was he these guys were starving. They didn't have any food. So he he had some American money. Actually, he'd stashed it in his Bible, and they'd taken all the other money. They didn't look in his Bible. <laughs> so he, he, they went to the village. They said, can you go to the village? And they, they prepared this huge feast for, I think it was 70 men. And they were so touched by that act of generosity, and they gave him extra food for a few days, that they sat and listened to a whole sermon, and uh, uh, and were deeply touched, and released him, unharmed. And it, it, those kind of things happen often. And so even... I'm encouraged that even in, in the darkest thing with when you have uh, terrorism and anarchy and all this stuff going on, God is still at work. And uh, that's, that always amazes me. Yes. At the time of the Khmer Rouge triumph, about a year later, I met a couple very fluent in both English and French. Uh-huh who had escaped and came here. I think they wound up in France. But they said something which emphasizes the importance of the work you are involved in. They listed six or seven categories of people who were immediately executed when the Khmer Rouge triumphed. All who had been abroad all who had worked for a foreign company, all who were Christians, all who were educated, and so on. They eliminated the Christians and the educated classes as far as possible so they would have a malleable mass of people left. They told me that it was their belief that 50% of the population had been wiped out. At the time, there were American experts who agreed, but since then they tended to revise that downward, which is usual among scholars. Now, the one thing this couple stressed 
was that the renewal of Cambodia would come from Cambodians outside of Cambodia. So this is what you're working at. Of course, we want to, we want uh, our, our Christian influence. Yes, because their their culture is so. We as people in North America just can't can't imagine how Buddhism can totally uh, permeate a culture. Mm-hmm. We have idols everywhere. We look at these quaint little things as oh, just a wooden little thing and a trinket, a tourist thing. But it's very real to them, and it's, it permeates mm-hmm. everything. And, it, and that uh, the only thing that will save the country and give them anything to salvage at all is Christianity. What, Larry, what percentage of the people here uh, yearn to go back? Not very many. Only the ones that are, that are truly dedicated in their faith. Because they realize, uh, one brother told me, he said, he said, Jesus has done so much for me. This is the least I can do for him. Is very matter factly, and because many of them go back and and they're they're looked on as foreigners now somewhat, but the country is so needy that any help at all is is welcomed. It is interesting that even Vietnam is thinking of uh, a flag now with the seven-headed serpent god on it. That. Faith is so deeply embedded in Southeast Asia. Yeah, the uh, the the head, one of the chief heads of uh, the Buddhist uh, religion in Cambodia, one of the, the the top leaders, he made a statement two weeks ago, maybe it's two and a half weeks ago, that the key to Cambodia's uh, Renewal as a, as a real vital force in Southeast Asia was that everyone begin to worship uh, the, the uh, Nagas or Nages. I can't remember the pronunciation. This seven-headed serpent, and it's interesting in, in their legend, this serpent crushed the heel of man. Mm-hmm. Just the opposite of the script, what the scripture says, where you shall bruise his heel, and it's just interesting. You have that Naga cult even in India. It's very prevalent in that part of Asia. But it's absolutely uh, devastating to their culture because it, it, it locks them into, uh, well, the Christians say, the Cambodian Christians, again, I'm not, not saying this as an American, they say this is God's judgment mm-hmm. on their culture. If they allow this to go unchallenged, Without, uh, they approach this as a battle, and it very, it's very real. When they when they go into a village, they go in praying, and 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 uh, uh, because that's the only thing. It's very serious. It's a life and death thing, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe that you could encourage them just to stay here and work amongst the Christians in this country. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sometimes when like when Pastor Chan goes to speak at at. Your mainline American churches there uh, is very unsettling to some people because uh, when they see the pictures of the, the dirt and the filth and and uh, all the devastation that has happened after you know what's almost 20 years now since the, the revolution, uh, it's destroyed their country. And one simple thing that the Christians have done 
they destroy, they, they kill all the dentists. And Pastor Chan, he was a, a, like a, be equivalent to a uh, dental hygienist. And there they can fill teeth and all that kind of stuff. But what they found is in that time from the late 70s till the early 90s, so they had a whole generation that had no dent, no oral hygiene. So, so children were dying uh, of bacterial infections uh, to their brain. They were killing with thousands and thousands of children. I, could, I, could, I have a video that I had. It was incredible that that you wouldn't even imagine. Just simple oral hygiene would have prevented most of that, and uh, even just dentists pulling teeth. Well, Christians and it was world like world vision. You know, give them credit for that. They. Uh, actually through a group of dedicated evangelicals in the Portland area, they re- reopened the uh, dental school in Phnom Penh is, is training a whole army of Christian dentists. You know, maybe they don't have the high-tech uh, jet aircraft equipment that we do, but it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. The children are dying. And, and what's happening is because they're taking care of people's teeth, they're willing to listen to what they have to say about their faith. Surprise! The doors are open. Yes. Well, when you got involved in this, you perhaps had no uh, realization how far it would take you, Larry. But and yeah, what the true. future will be, God only knows. But certainly, you've embarked on a wonderful course of Christian action. It's been very—I uh, was tell my wife—it's been very fulfilling. We have five, six minutes. Is there something that you haven't been able to tell us because we've interrupted you that you'd like to take the time to uh, tell us about now? Well, I'd like to encourage uh, all believers that you don't have to to jump off a cliff and say, I'm getting involved in missions. Uh, It's a step-by-step thing. Faithful and little, God will give you more. God will give you more. Faithful and little, faithful and much. And that... uh, that I, my prayer and hope is that that people would just be a little more aware of the the need of uh, missions uh, to frontier peoples like the Cambodians to unreached peoples who have no no gospel no no indigenous church at all and to get to know the missionaries that are in their circle of friends or influences or churches. Uh, we are friends of many missionaries, and it can be a very lonely thing out there. And and uh, uh, simple letters and correspondence and sending cartoons from home even can cheer people up. Uh, and uh, certainly prayer and, of course, tangible uh, monetary support. And uh, and to encourage people to get involved with with missions that aren't just preaching, but are are really doing uh, I call works of charity works of uh, Christian reconstruction in that culture that are appropriate because I have seen many, many doors open that way that were just slammed shut before. Now, is there any uh, newsletter or report that goes out telling of the work you and others are doing in this area? Uh, Not that I know of. the, in Cambodia, it's kind of a, a chaos right now as far as uh, through a combination of world events and, and a lot of other circumstances, five warring factions, 
Uh, no, there's there's no newsletter as such. Well, what about your work here? The work you're involved. Well, in? I, I have a family newsletter that we put out. But to, to friends and, and people that uh, I don't need any support, uh, the Lord provides that. But I mean, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just my personal newsletter. It's, but yeah. it's more for friends and family and people that are praying for us uh, and our, our, our church family uh, in Pullman, Washington. Well, I know our readers and listeners will be interested in knowing more about your work. Why don't you write a little article describing some of the things you've told us about? We'll run it in the Calcedon Report and from time to time give us an update because I know our people will be intensely interested. I'll be glad to do that. Just mail it here in care of uh, Andrew to the Calcedon address. Sure. Because... One of our problems today is that Christian faith and Christian action have been separated. That's right. And one without the other is no good. Amen. You have to have the biblical ground and the biblical faith must lead to works. Yes. Faith without works is dead and our Lord said, by their fruits shall ye know them. We want to encourage others to do the kind of thing you're doing because there are opportunities everywhere. Of course, you know from the report, Calcedon Report, of Steve Schlissel and his work in New York City, Urban Nation. And this is the kind of thing that Christians must think seriously about. Instead of bewailing the fact that we're getting uh, too many other races here in this country, we need to see it as an opportunity to reach these people because they are God's creatures and are as important in His eternal plan as any of us. Yes. That's why I feel that uh, your work and Steve Schlissel's and that of others is so extremely important. And I believe that our readers need to learn more about it. Thank well, thank you, Larry, for coming. And uh, do come again sometime and tell us more. Give us an update because we'll be happy to hear about it. Well, thank you all for listening. Be in prayer for Larry Bailey, for the work among these peoples in Cambodia and here. If you remember them in prayer, I believe God will bless you because we have an obligation as members of one another in Christ to support one another by prayer. Well, thank you all for listening and good night.